Wow, it is so great to be in this room with you guys this morning. Uh, praise God. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name's Terry Lee. I'm one of the elders here at the Oaks Church. Uh, I want you to know that whether you are a first-time guest with us this morning or you've called the Oaks Church home for a long time, I'm really grateful that you are worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we are starting a new series that is called Growth Rings. Hunter mentioned it earlier. We've got uh, some passages of scripture that are in the seat back in front of you. You'll notice that on the flip side of those cards, the first letter of each word in the verse is on the card. So that kind of helps you memorize it. Now, as we thought about uh, moving into the building, this next phase of life uh, in our church, we thought that Growth Rings would be a, a fitting title for a series to talk about our mission as a church and uh, to consider the core values that fuel our faithfulness. Um, who, who are we as the Oaks? Uh, what is important to us? What are the values that support the mission that we believe that God has called us to here? And so we're gonna be looking at Luke 5 um, as we just consider our mission as a church. But before we get there, uh, I wanna take a moment to just say, thank you. Uh, over the past years, uh, I, I'm, just, I'm just so grateful to be your pastor and uh, to see the way that you love one another. But um, man, it is, just, it is such a blessing to see uh, your sacrifice, your service of one another, your generosity, your love for the Lord. And uh, it would be a, an undeserved privilege to be the pastor of any church, but I feel immeasurably blessed to get to be your pastor. And I wanna thank you for that. Um, you know, I just, I, whenever you read the letters of Paul, he, he starts each one of them, most of them, the Galatians, they got it rough, right? But he, but he begins most letters with just like thanksgiving and, and gratitude. And I'm really grateful for you. I mean, never in a million years, whenever we set out on this journey seven years ago, would I have thought that I would have the unbelievable privilege of being your pastor. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I'm, I mean that from the bottom of, of my heart. And I know that I, I don't say that enough. And so I wanted to just pause this morning before we dove into the sermon and let you know how truly grateful I am for you, for our elders, for our staff, for our deacons, for uh, our church members. You guys are absolutely awesome. Um, let's thank the Lord as well. Father God, you are so good to us. Your, your mercies are new every morning, and we need them. Uh, Lord, whenever our alarm clock goes off before our feet even hit the floor, you meet us with undeserved grace and mercy, and we're thankful for that. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us, for displaying your power through the resurrection and uh, seeking out a bunch of uh, rebels and wretches and drawing them together through your grace and making a church family. Uh, Lord, I thank you that um, this is one expression of what you have been doing throughout the ages, all throughout the world. And so, Lord, as we gather here in this building, uh, I pray that we would be mindful that there is a chorus of angels right now perpetually singing your praises around your throne. We get to join in that as we sing about our Redeemer who lives. And Lord, there are, there are fellow Christians all throughout this city and throughout the world that are giving praise to you as well. And Lord, we're zealous that uh, that number would multiply because you've placed us here. 
And so we're grateful. We give honor and thanks to you and to nowhere else. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Now, over the past 10 months, uh, so much about this building has changed. Uh, do you guys remember our first workday? Like, that was crazy, wasn't it? Uh, there were pews flying everywhere. Uh, Grace posted a ton of stuff on Facebook Marketplace, and people were just, you know, coming into the building, and it's like, if it had a blue Post-it note on it, it could go. Um, some things that didn't have a blue Post-it note on it found their way out. I saw somebody walking out with our microwave, and it was a perfectly good microwave, but I thought, you know, one of our core values is generosity, so I feel like I can't ask for it back, and hopefully it found a good home. Like, I, you know, I don't really know, but I mean, just think about, like, the transformation of this place. I, I was talking to one of the former pastors that pastored here earlier this week, and he said this building, they broke ground on it in 1950. And so to think, man, a building that is over 70 years old uh, has, has been transformed and given life that our church would, would get to meet here. I mean, think about that. Think about all the songs that have been sung here, the sermons that have been preached, the scriptures that have been read. And, and isn't it fitting that we would be a part of taking a, a dated building and getting to restore it? Isn't that what our church is all about, restoration? Now, our, our mission statement is that we exist to glorify God and make disciples by bringing restoration through the gospel to Cincinnati and the world. Drew just said it. We've all seen it. This is a picture of our mission, of what God has called us to do here, to bring restoration to a city, to bring restoration through the world, because Jesus brought restoration to us. I mean, you, you walk around these classrooms, and where chalkboards once hung, there are now TVs. Uh, we went from faulty wiring that was rather dangerous to, to new light fixtures, where there were leaks in the ceiling. There are now dry floors, and there's a word for it all, and it is restoration. And as we think about the mission of our church, bringing restoration through the gospel, uh, I think that there could almost be a tendency to think, like, this is just like a string of Christian buzzwords, right? Restoration through the gospel, Cincinnati and the world, but I want you to see it's, it's more than that, that this is our mission, because this is the mission of Jesus. And we are we are all about following Jesus and making his mission our mission. You see, if you're a Christian, then what has taken place in this building is a picture, a reminder of what Christ has done and is doing in your life. I'm reminded, whenever I think about restoration, I'm reminded of the quote from John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace. He said, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. I'm not what I hope to be in another world, but still, I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. You ever find yourself saying that? Just going through your day, thinking about the way that you handle a situation, and you, and you say, and by the grace of God, I'm not, I'm not where I want to be. I'm not where I one day will be, but I'm not where I once was. Maybe you find yourself dealing with a stressful situation something that makes you anxious, and you, you turn to the Lord in prayer. You flip your Bible open to that well-worn passage of Scripture that might even have some of your tears on it. You turn on a worship song to reorient your heart to God, 
You confide in a Christian brother or sister saying, I'm weak and I need prayer. But you think about who you once were and you think, you know what? Used to this same situation, I would have turned to some form of escape. I would have, I would have looked to alcohol. I would have looked to pornography. I would have looked to self-harm. I would have looked to just drowning myself in entertainment. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Maybe you, you get a poor test score on an exam or somebody just lays into you at work and you get a, a really critical comment and those moments used to crush you. But now you know that your approval is in Christ, that your identity is found in him. And so instead of being crushed, you rely upon the Lord and you fall upon him and you think, by the grace of God, I'm not what I want to be, I'm not what I will be, but I'm no longer who I once was. Maybe you, you think about some of your past sins. And, and at the moment that, that the guilt starts to set in, you're reminded of Christ, that upon the cross, Jesus paid it all. And because the scriptures are true, then your deepest, darkest sins are lying somewhere upon the floor of an ocean of God's grace. And they hold no power over you anymore. And you say to yourself, only the restoring power of Jesus can do that. Maybe you catch yourself, maybe you caught yourself this week saying something or thinking something. And in that very moment, you thought, this is not who I am. We say with John Newton, not yet what we wanna be, not yet what we will be, but thanks be to God, we are not who we once were. And that's the restoring power of Jesus. And maybe you came in this morning and, and you're not a Christian. Praise God that you are here. I, I do not expect every person in this room every week to be a Christian. And I'm glad that you are here. If you'd say, you know, I've got some questions. I'm, I'm working through some stuff. I came with a friend. This is, what, this is what I want to say to you. Maybe you've tried cleaning your, your life up on your own. Maybe you've tried figuring your life out. Maybe you've tried to self-medicate in a million different ways and you just don't feel like it's working. I've been there too, so hear me out. Sin is the problem and it has a lot of different symptoms, but Jesus can restore your life. And I think he brought you here today to tell you that, that he can do that because that's the restoring power of Jesus. Only Jesus can restore. See, even as Christians, can we admit, maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're here oftentimes like I am, and you can admit that you need to be reminded of Christ's compassion and power. You ever have those days where your growth feels slow? Or maybe God feels distant? Like, like you somehow misplaced the joy of your, of your salvation and you're having a hard time finding it? If so, then this sermon is for you. If you'd say, I need to be restored, or I'm in a person in the process of restoration, or I'm here hurting and I'm in need of healing, then this sermon is for you. I want you to know you're certainly not the first. And what we're gonna find in this passage of Luke chapter five today is that Jesus is encountered by a man who is in desperate need. And in the greatest hour of his need, he experienced the restoring power 
of Jesus. The same power that as a Christian you have restored and you, you have experienced that restoration, you have access to. It's the same restoration that if you walked in here and you don't know Christ, you can have access to through Christ. The mission of our church to bring restoration through the gospel is embodied in this man that we find in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. Let's read. God's word says this, while he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him, about Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, the main theme will be this, two words, Jesus restores. I was talking to our student ministry this morning. And, uh, and they were like, what, how are we going to take notes? And I was like, I know we don't have a screen for a couple weeks. We're going to keep it really simple. And I've got the shortest main point I've ever had in the history of the Oaks. Jesus restores. All right. So, so if you're taking notes, I mean, that's the, that's the theme. That's, you know, that's the coat rack that we're going to hang everything else on here, that Jesus restores. And in this passage, we're going to see three parallels between ourselves and this leprous man. So if you're laying out your notes, it's, the theme is Jesus restores, and then we're going to see three parallels. Because what we will find in this passage is that you and I are a lot like this man that was full of leprosy. And that is both the worst news and the best news that we could ever receive. The first parallel is this, that we all need restoration. In verse 12, this man recognizes that he needs restoration, and we do too. Parallel one, we all need restoration. Now remember, Luke, who is the author of this gospel, was not just an author, he was a doctor. So as he describes this man in verse 12 as a man who is full of leprosy, we understand that as Luke is writing his gospel account and he's interviewing eyewitnesses, this isn't just a, real, a really bad case of poison ivy that this man has, right? He doesn't say, oh, this seems like a really severe sunburn. No, this man is completely taken over by this terrible disease that was called leprosy. Now, based upon the context and what precedes the passage that we just read, we know that Jesus has just called his first disciples, Right? So Peter, James, and John, they're now walking with Jesus. They were you know, fishermen just days before, and now they're going throughout the region of Galilee. We read in verse 12 that this took place while Jesus was in one of the cities. And then there came a man that was full of leprosy. They're not on the outskirts of town. They're in, they're in a populated place. Now, take a moment and put yourself in one of the disciples' shoes. Just, just picture yourself maybe as Peter, James, or John. You're walking with Jesus. This is new and exciting. You're maybe asking, like, what town are we going to next? Like, what, what's next on the agenda, Jesus? Maybe you're asking him questions about one of the messages that he just preached. And then in the distance, you see this figure approaching you. And as he gets a little bit closer, you're like, man, this guy, 
I mean, his, his clothes are torn. He looks dirty. His face is disfigured. His body is covered with sores. His hair is scraggly. And in that moment, you recognize, wait, this man's a leper. A, a, a leper shouldn't be in the city. He, he had to stay at least 50 paces from everyone. And, and as you kind of begin to slow the pace of your walking, you realize that this man is coming toward you even faster in fact, whenever this man lays eyes on Jesus, he begins to run to Jesus. Now, I want you to understand that what is taking place here is un unfathomable in this culture. Uh, not only was, was this a matter of just discomfort for someone to come in contact with a leper, this was also a part of God's command. You see, whenever you're reading through the book of Leviticus, uh, where we will all soon be in our Bible reading plans, right? If you can make it through Leviticus, right? I think you can do the whole year. But you're reading through Leviticus and you're like, okay, I'm getting this, sacrifices. And then some, like in Leviticus 13, there's this shift that takes place. And Moses is all of a sudden writing like a dermatology textbook. You're like, oh, like if it's scabbed and white, and like what, what is going on here? Well, that was, that was a part of God's plan for trying to, trying to keep his people healthy, and so he's giving these instructions. He's, uh, you know, the, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Moses as he writes. And, and what we find in Leviticus 13 is that if someone had the disease of leprosy, that they were both socially and ceremonially unclean. And whenever you're reading the book of Leviticus, to, to be pronounced unclean is a dreadful fate. It meant that you couldn't go into the temple, that you couldn't worship. It meant that you couldn't be around your family. It meant that you're, you're viewed as an outcast, at least for a little bit by those around you. It was a dreadful fate. And we're not given the backstory of this man. I think that's probably intentional by Luke. I think it's one of the reasons that we can look at this passage and kind of see him as a picture of us. But one New Testament scholar speaks of leprosy in this way. He says, it was a disease that was at the same time a life sentence. That's weighty. He says the disease robbed a person of their health, but this death sentence, if you will, also robbed them of their name, their occupation, their habits, their family, their fellowship, their friendship, their worshiping community. Some people have called leprosy a slow death by inches. You see, whenever you began to see this red patch on your skin, whenever it began to develop into a sore and spread throughout your body, you begin to wonder, is, is the worst, one of the worst possible fates that I could ever experience taking place? And for this man, that was a reality. He was in great need of restoration. You see, if you were a leper, you had to leave your family. You had to live outside of the city. So uh, that's one of the reasons that it's, it's so crazy that this man was in the city where the disciples would have been because you had to live in some tent on the outskirts. You couldn't be near people. You couldn't be near your family. I mean, imagine that. Having to watch your own children grow up from a distance and, and dealing with that tension of wanting to hold them in your arms and at the same time loving them so much that you knew that you couldn't live with yourself if they ever received that same disease that you lived with. How isolating, how lonely would that have made you? Leprosy made you an outcast in society. I, I mentioned earlier that you had to live outside of the community. Another New Testament scholar adds to that saying, you actually just had to wear torn clothing uh, as, as one of the symbols that you were a leper. 
right? So you'd always look disheveled. You'd never feel put together. You had to wear torn clothing. You had to leave your hair unkempt. Um, you had to cover the lower part of your face. You had to cry out, unclean, unclean, every time you saw another person, right? That became a label for you if you were a leper. You get that? Like, if you were a leper, and every time you saw another person, you had to shout, I am unclean, I am unclean. You know what that does over time? Degrades you, demoralizes you, breaks you down. Do you view yourself as someone made in the image of God? Probably not. It becomes an identity. It hangs over you like a dark cloud. I'm unclean. I'm unclean. Finally, if you were a leper, you would have felt cut off from God. As I said before, if you were pronounced ceremonially unclean, you, you couldn't gather in, in worship with other people. It's interesting. Every time you see Jesus interact with a leper in the Gospels, they're not called sick. Is it a sickness? Yeah. But they're not called sick. They're called unclean because this is a depiction of, of how they were viewed. Uh, they, they couldn't go into the synagogue and, and hear preaching they couldn't gather with other believers. They couldn't pray with others. I mean, they, they felt cut off from society, cut off from family, and they even felt cut off from God. So with all of that being the background, how would you have expected the, the disciples to interact as, as they see this man coming near? I mean, they would, they would have stepped back. I mean, what, what's going on here? How would you have expected this man to act? Doesn't he know the social norms? Doesn't he understand the protocol? He's supposed to be shouting unclean. He's supposed to be keeping his distance. And yet he begins to run toward Jesus. This man realized, I have nothing left to lose. I've tried as best as I could to wash my own skin. I've tried every remedy that this world has to offer. It's not cutting it. It's not working. I need restoration. Is there anyone who can restore? There is. And the moment he laid eyes on him, he ran with all of his might. And what do we read in verse 12? He saw Jesus and he fell on his face and begged him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Oh man, I remember the first time I prayed that prayer. I was like seven years old. And I've looked back at that again and again. I've looked back to the baptism that I had. I, I pray you've prayed that prayer. You say, Lord, make me clean. To be reminded of Christ's cleansing power and to experience his restoration anew each and every day. Praise be to God that he makes us clean. Because the parallels here between you and I and the leper are too obvious to miss. We see our own need for restoration here, don't we? Because leprosy creates separation, and so does sin. We experience the horizontal effects of sin, don't we? James 4.1 tells us that there are fights and quarrels among you. There's conflict. There's difficulty in your marriage, in your sibling relationships, between you and your parents, between you and your roommates and your friends. There's all of this strife, and you know Why? because of the sinful desires that wage war within your own heart. Oof. Wait, you're telling me that whenever I look in the mirror, I'm actually the problem? Yeah. Not only creates separation between us and, and one another, there's a much bigger problem. It creates separation between us and God. 
In Isaiah 59, 2, Isaiah the prophet speaks of the canyon that exists because you and I have rebelled against a holy God, saying your iniquity, your sin, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Outcast, living somewhere outside the city. If you're a Christian, as you think about that, I, I hope that being reminded of how our sin separates us from God, I, I pray that that would have a, an effect on you that makes you grateful for what Christ has done. This, is, this, this shows us, right, that, that sin isn't just kind of a minor inconvenience. It's not something that's just kind of like, you know, a, a mistake that we make every now and then. No, it has eternal consequences that are worthy of eternal hell. And yet Christ has reconciled us to God because we were once separated from him. So we rejoice, we praise because we are in need of restoration. And even with this being the case, I think maybe you can resonate with this. As Christians, we often forget. Sometimes we find ourselves living like we are leprous again because sometimes those old sinful habits are hard to break, are they not? You, You find yourself indulging the impure thought or, or, or kind of justifying that conversation that when you walk away of it, you're, you're like, man, that kind of felt like gossip, but, you know, I, I did it with the best intentions. I'm, I'm sure it's okay. You ever find yourself there? Maybe, maybe you, you find yourself downplaying your sin, right? One, one of the effects of leprosy is that it made you numb to any kind of sensitivity because it, it killed your nerve endings. Are you, you find yourself being calloused to sins that once made you flinch? Maybe you live like you're still separated from God. Uh, Even though you've been reconciled and and united in Christ, you live as you're separated, letting your Bible collect dust throughout the week. And instead of spending time in in prayer with the Lord or among other believers, you you find yourself just kind of throwing yourself into into work. Maybe if I send one more email, maybe if I get a little bit further on on this project over the weekend, then then I'll kind of like satisfy that longing. Yeah, I know Christ is sufficient, but but I really need to work on this. I really need, if I'm really gonna be complete, I need to be in this relationship or I need to accomplish this academic achievement. I, I just, so we find ourselves scrolling social media. We find ourselves living as if we're still separated when we're not. You see, we all need restoration. This man acknowledges his need. He falls on his face before the Lord in verse 12 and says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. This is a real prayer. This is a prayer of desperation. Have have you prayed this prayer? If you're not a Christian, I pray that you would pray this prayer. have, Have you prayed this prayer today as a Christian, just admitting your need of Christ? You see, we see ourselves as the leper in this passage because the big idea here is not just that Jesus can take the extreme cases and fix them. No, the big idea of this passage is actually that we are all lepers, that only Jesus can make us clean. And that's pretty hard to hear. We don't like that. Wait, you're telling me that the only way I can be restored, the only way that I can come to Jesus is the same way that this man does? desperation, falling on bended knee, falling on my face, casting myself before him and completely abandoning myself to his mercy? Absolutely. And how will Jesus respond? 
Look at verse 13. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Here's where we find our second parallel. Jesus restores us. Parallel to Jesus restores us right here in verse 13. You see, as soon as the disciples would have recognized who this man was, they would have recoiled. They would have taken a step back. They don't, they don't want anything to do with this guy. And we would expect Jesus to follow suit, right? Like he is this great teacher. We, we see in Luke 4 that he's teaching in the synagogues. Surely he couldn't risk uh, becoming unclean by this man. I mean, what, what would Jesus do in this scenario? And the unthinkable happens. What does Jesus do as this man runs toward him, as he falls before him? Jesus reaches out his hand and touches him. Now, what we will see in, in the passage that follows this, when Jesus hears the, the paralyzed man, what does he do? He just speaks a word. So we know that Jesus could have done that. He, he could have simply said, I will, you be clean. And he would have been completely cleansed in that moment. But Jesus here in verse 13 stretches out his hand. And we see the compassion of Jesus. We see the power of Jesus in this moment. And, and remember this, as I just said, one of the primary symptoms of leprosy is that you wouldn't be able to experience sensation. You wouldn't have feeling. Leprosy is the loss of all feeling. This man's nerve endings would have been dead. And we don't know how long this man had been leprous, but think about this moment that Jesus touches him and the leprosy leaves. It had probably been years since this man felt pressure upon his arm. And at the moment that Jesus, the Messiah, the eternal Son of God, stretches out his hand and places it upon his shoulder, something happens. And for the first time, he feels in years. And he experiences a complete restoration that could only come from Christ himself. This man's healing was a work of God, but not simply a work of God, it was the will of God. Jesus says, I will be clean. Now, how many of us have prayed that we would know the will of God? All of us, right? Maybe, maybe that's been something on your prayer list this week. Lord, just, I, I want to know your will. I want to know what's next. I'm making some decisions about the future, and I want to know your will. Well, here we see the will of God pronounced by Jesus. He says, I will be clean. There are a lot of aspects, perhaps, of the will of God that we may never know. But one thing that we do know is that Jesus delights in restoring people who call upon him. God's will for the leper is God's will for you, and many of you are evidence of that. He wills that the dirty would become clean. He wills that the far off would be brought near. Would you come to him that he could make you clean? Christian, would you believe that Christ has cleansed you? Brother or sister that is in this room right now, struggling with some besetting sin, would you see that Jesus stands willing to forgive? And may that be your prayer as we take the Lord's Supper today. Say, Lord, I, I give this into your hands. And as I take the symbolic reminder of your blood and your body, may you do a work in me that says goodbye to the power of this sin forever. Maybe some of you walk in and you feel like you carry the same label that the leper had. You've been physically abused and that, that hangs over you. Uh, maybe, maybe 
you've walked in and you have some other label that feels like it is just too hard to shake. Maybe you've gone through a divorce. Maybe you've slept around. Maybe you know what it's like to be an addict, a failure, or a disappointment. I would imagine that I'm not the only one that knows what it's like to have those moments where I feel like Satan is dredging up past sins and throwing them in my face. And at the moment that I feel most unworthy to be loved by a holy God, I'm reminded that to sinners like us, Jesus stretches out his nail-scarred hand. Reminds me of the hymn, Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. At the word of Jesus, you are made clean. Now consider the compassion of Jesus. Jesus isn't reluctant here. Uh, the, the very leprosy that would have dispelled others draws Jesus near. And the, the very sin that condemns you also makes you fit for the redemption that only Christ can provide. Isn't that amazing? This paradox of unbelievable grace. In Mark's gospel, we read that Jesus was moved with pity toward this man. Moved with compassion is the word there. The author of Hebrews says something of how Jesus feels toward his people. Hebrews 7.25 says that he is able to save to the uttermost. You say, well, well you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if God can restore me. I've got things going on that people sitting beside me don't even know about. Let me read that again. He's able to save to the uttermost. And if that's a filing cabinet, just know whatever you're struggling with fits in there. He saves to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Christ has done everything needed for your restoration, and Christ is doing everything needed to continue to work out that restoring power in your life. Non-Christian who's here this morning, I want you to hear this invitation. I don't want you to delay. I want you to know this is for you. Today is the day of salvation. So like this man, would you fall upon your face and say, Jesus, I've got nothing left but I believe that your death on the cross was for my sin and that your resurrection can give me life. And as best as I know how, I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life. Christian, rejoice in our compassionate Savior. Christ is compassionate toward you. If you wandered in here this morning and you are a Christian who is thirsty, come and drink from the well that never runs dry. Do you feel lost? Come home. Are you hurting? Be healed. Are you exhausted? Come to the one who gives rest. In verse 13, we read that immediately the leprosy left him. Behold the power of Jesus. Jesus speaks. He lays his hand on him. And what takes place immediately, this man that was full of leprosy is completely healed. What would that have looked like? Modern medicine cannot even accomplish this feat. And immediately his skin is healed. His complexion clears up. Toes that would have fallen off are immediately grown back. He looks completely different. He experiences a restoring power, the power of Jesus. But as those who live on 
on this side of the cross, we know that this is just a foretaste of the power of Jesus, don't we? We know that Jesus would ultimately display his power by bearing the sin of the world on his shoulders. That Jesus's power is ultimately displayed in the fact that he would take upon our death because the penalty of rebelling against a holy God is death. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died in our place. That Jesus, the God-man, entered the world that he created to reconcile a holy God and sinful humanity. Only Christ could do that. And after completely absorbing the wrath of God that you and I deserve, Jesus, as he hung upon the cross, uttered the words, it is finished. That's power, a power that only Jesus has. And after three dark days and a cold borrowed tomb, the power of Jesus was displayed again through his bodily resurrection and complete restoration. And now Jesus is risen. He is the conqueror of death. He is our warrior king who reigns and rules over the universe and has conquered the power of sin. He now sits enthroned above the world as our shepherd and savior. He governs all things and gives eternal life to any who call upon his name. That is power. That's the power of Jesus. And you know what he does with that power? 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse you and forgive all of your unrighteousness. He wields his power to receive glory through your restoration. And what Jesus did for this man, he has come to do for all who would believe. Oh, with, with your eyes still in Luke 5, look briefly at Luke 4, verses 17 through 20. You see, Jesus walked into his hometown in Nazareth, and he picks up the scroll of Isaiah. The attendant handed it to him, and he unfurls it to Isaiah 61, this passage that is very familiar to our church. And Jesus begins to read, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. These words were written 700 years before Jesus had read them in this synagogue. Verse 20, and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus was the one who spoke to the spiritually impoverished and said, I am he who has come to bring immeasurable riches of righteousness through the sacrifice of myself. To the brokenhearted, he says, I am the great physician who has come to bind up your wounds to those who were held captive by the bondage of sin. He says, I am the liberator and whom the son sets free is free indeed. That's the restoring power of the gospel. And this restoration is experienced twofold. It is experienced both positionally and progressively. Right, right, so the doctrine of our positional restoration that we've been completely made clean and declared right with God, that's called justification. Right, we are declared holy and blameless and right with God. There's also the doctrine of sanctification, that this restoration is also a, a progressive work that yields the fruit of the Spirit and, and slowly pulls out 
the grip of sin in our lives. We have experienced restoration and are experiencing restoration through Christ our Redeemer. Jesus has cured this man. So what would he do next? Our third parallel, Jesus brings restoration in us and through us. Jesus brings restoration in us and through us in verses 14 through 15. We see that Jesus gives this man a really interesting command in verse 14, doesn't he? He charges him to go and tell nobody else. Now, why did he do that? Well, we just saw in Luke 4 that Jesus was uh, teaching in the synagogue. In the early ministry of Jesus, he wanted to go and teach to the synagogue where people were already familiar with the scrolls, with the scriptures. And he knew that if the word got out quickly that he was able to perform these kind of miracles, then he wouldn't be able to go into cities in the same way. And what we're going to find soon as you keep reading through the book of Luke is that is exactly what happens when this message gets out. Now, he also tells this man to go and show himself to the priest. I mentioned Leviticus 13 earlier. In Leviticus 14, uh, there's the ceremony that is given for whenever somebody has been pronounced clean from the disease of leprosy. And then they go into the temple, they make a sacrifice, an offering. The priest observes their skin and they are, they're declared clean. And Jesus is restoring this man not only back into the presence of God, he's restoring his whole life. He's able to go back into the synagogue. He's able to go back into the city. He's able to, to once again be a part of society. Imagine, just imagine for a moment, right? Like let's use our sanctified imagination. And what if his wife is right there and, and she's in the living room of their home and down the hall, she hears that familiar voice that she hasn't heard in that house for years. And she realizes, could it be, right? He's, he can't come in here. He can't come in the city. And she realizes her husband, and she said, how, how did this happen? He says, there's this man named Jesus. And I encountered him, and he changed everything. I want you to meet him too. And word got out, and he began talking about it. And he's, oh, Jesus, I... I you said not to tell anybody, but this, this news is too good to keep to myself. And what do you see takes place? Man, the news of the restoring power of Jesus begins to travel throughout the region. And in verse 15, we read, now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to Jesus to do two things, to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Isn't that amazing? that this man was changed forever, that Jesus brought restoration in him, and then through his proclamation would bring restoration through him. Now, we don't know what came of this man. There aren't more stories about him, but I can imagine one thing for certain. After receiving this new life, I don't think that he went back to his old life of death. I, I bet he didn't even go back out to that tent in the wilderness and try to gather up his belongings because Jesus had given him a completely new life. As scripture says of those who call upon his name, we become a new creation in him. And he left that old life behind because he had been made clean. We should do the same. Let me ask, what patterns of life still look a lot like leprosy? I pray that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction. I need it. And that in the moment that I feel that conviction that I would look at the power of the resurrected Christ and know that the Holy Spirit can bring about what he has already begun in me. And the same is true of you. Christian, what is Jesus restoring in you right now that you can celebrate? That's sanctification. 
and growth feels slow sometimes, but he's, he's at work. You might have to pray. You might have to search a little bit, but Jesus is at work within you. I see it. And as the report went around about him, many other heard and were healed. You see that this one man's restoration led to the restoration of many others. That's the same, same thing that's happening here. It's the same thing that's happening in this room, that we are able to bring restoration to those around us because Christ has brought and is bringing restoration in us. And you know what I love about that passage that Jesus read in Luke 4 that defines his mission? That if you keep reading that passage that he quoted from in Isaiah 61, that you see the way that God uses people that were once poor, who have received the good news of Jesus, those who were once brokenhearted that have been bound up, those who were once held captive by sin who have now been set free. They aren't set off to the side. Do you know what Isaiah 61 says? That he plants them, that God would be glorified and that other people would be restored. And do you know what he calls those people? Oaks of righteousness. Oaks of righteousness planted by God in strategic places. Those that have experienced restoration are experiencing restoration so they can be a conduit of this restoring gospel power to those around them. This gospel brings restoration. When it brings restoration in you, that's called salvation. It's called sanctification. It's called discipleship. When God brings restoration through you, it's called ministry, serving your church family. It's called evangelism, making the gospel known to your neighbors and the nations. They hear and they be healed. Could you imagine what the city was like after the news had gotten out about Jesus, after he's healing all of these people? I mean, just imagine this new region, this community marked by gospel change. I can imagine it because I see it here right now. I'm a part of one. I experience it among you. May others hear and be healed as they did because we are here. This is good news. This means that the church is a hospital for those that need healing and it's not a beauty pageant for people that have it all together. It means that we love one another even when it's hard because we are imperfect people in the process of restoration. It means that we are not religious experts. No, we are simply former patients and present patients pointing fellow travelers to the great physician. And we are bringing restoration through the gospel because we have experienced it ourselves. And so over the next six weeks, we're gonna talk more about what it means to be restored by the gospel. I know that it's hard to sometimes know what gospel restoration looks like. It's hard to measure, it's hard to quantify. But, but I believe that the seven values that we hold dear as a church family guide us as we seek to search out what it means to be restored by the gospel. These are our growth rings. And we find ourselves progressively living gospel-centered lives, not self-focused, but centered upon Christ. No longer finding our identity and who we are in our accomplishments or the number in our bank account, but finding our identity rooted in Christ. We're no longer living for some selfish mission for our own comfort or convenience. We now are missionaries to our neighbors and the nations. Uh, we don't settle for a life that is isolated and lonely because we have been made the family of God. We become joyfully generous people, recognizing that we have been blessed to be a blessing to others, and we embrace the beautiful diversity 
of an intergenerational, ethnically diverse, economically different body of Christ because the gospel is good news for all people. So we are the oaks and we exist to glorify God and make disciples by bringing restoration through the gospel to Cincinnati and the world. And we can do that because we've experienced the restoring power of Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray.